0: I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. This is our final episode of Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, and for participating. This is not the final time that we will be discussing spiritual abuse, but I'm so glad we got some extra space to bring awareness to this very important subject. This episode features the Reverend Dr. Agnes M. Lover and Dr. Jamel Rogers from Pepperdine University. I'm going to place their full bios in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. But fun fact, Dr. Lover is Dr. Rogers' mother. Dr. Rogers is a psychologist, and Dr. Lover is a minister. So we're going to discuss spiritual abuse from a spiritual and trauma angle. The Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit sporting survivors of spiritual abuse. Our guests on Uncertain are sharing their opinions and do not necessarily reflect the views of Tears of Eden. Tears of Eden is, at this time, 100% volunteer run, so we are going to take a short break to recover from Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month, but we will be back with a new episode in just a few short weeks. Here's my interview with Dr. Jamel Rogers and Dr. Agnes Lover. How are you guys doing? Great. How are you doing today? I am good. Thank you guys so much for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Dr. Lover, I've been reading your dissertation this afternoon, and there was one thing that I highlighted that I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that. So we're going to get into that when we chat.
1: first. And I I would like just one thing. I have a D-man, so it actually, we consider that like a project, even though it's like 200 and some pages,
0: amen, and a lot of research. So not a dissertation.
1: Yeah. You know, dissertation. I mean, because I I respect that for people who put in like original research, a lot of original. Yeah. So I just want to qualify that because I just don't want to offend anyone. But it is a project and it did take three years to do. It is a project project.
0: that took three years to do, but it is not considered a dissertation. But you have original research because you
2: have participants. Oh yeah! Listen, I'm clarifying. I'm just
1: like you know, trying to be on the up. I love how she's centering you. She's
2: like, it counts. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I know.
1: But I'm just listen. You know, it's a project, but that's okay. You know, but Um, it's
0: earned. Listen, that is a intense project, and I just want to know it is is earned. Yeah. I want to know where is your book deal? When is it, that happening? We
2: were just <laughs> talking about that. Absolutely. Yes. Listen, yes. This has been
1: on the shelf for four years. Okay. So uh, I don't so know. It's about ready. It's ready. I don't
2: it's know about ready. a book, but we're we going to turn
1: it into hopefully a
2: Bible study.
1: All
0: Maybe right. You know? Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. A workbook Bible study that can be sold to churches who need to yes. talk about this topic.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. hmm hmm I. I've not it
2: before. women can you need to be
1: centered about your uh, podcast um katherine can you mm-hmm. just
2: give
0: us a little yeah. yeah so it's the affiliate podcast of tears of eden which is a nonprofit for survivors of spiritual abuse from evangelical spaces and the podcast the tagline of the podcast is challenging the church to do better so we talk about all kinds of things and one of the reasons for that is like Abuse happens, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And a lot of times there is toxicity that creates these spaces for abuse to happen. And so the point of that is to just kind of get all of these things that are are causing these abusive things to happen. I'm also kind of shifting a little bit in my own perspective of just like the people who end up leaving the church. And that's mostly who I work with are folks who have been abused in the church and they've left the church. They're still a part of the church. They may not be in the institution, but they're still a part of the church. Of the and body, so, the
1: body of Christ.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, I'm shifting a little bit in my own perspective of like it still counts if I'm just talking to them. Like I'm still caring for the church, <laughs> still, exactly. still thinking about the church in that. So again, thank you guys so much for being willing to be on this. As I said in our email correspondent, January Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month. I want to have all of the episodes from the podcast to be about very specifically about spiritual abuse. I found you through Dr. Tama, Dr. Jamel, and then you, I'm so grateful that you pulled your mom in on this. I'm I'm
2: excited to talk to both of you guys. This is more her topic. Obviously, I work with people who have um, experienced various types of abuse, It's sexual abuse in the church. Mm. But this is more her topic. So, yes, that's why I'm like, I had to pull her in.
0: I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And then you have more of like the clinical trauma training, correct? Yeah. uh, Which is great. Yeah. So we're going to have it from like two different angles, like a theological angle and a trauma angle. And I'm so excited. This is going to be great. So you guys (laughs) ready? (laughs) Okay. So the thing that I wanted to highlight in the dissertation. So I highlighted this, this sentence, which is intimate partner violence is similar to spiritual abuse. In both instances, the abuse is coming from a trusted source that should provide security and stability rather than a violent manipulative control techniques. So I want to hear more about that how spiritual abuse is like intimate partner violence
1: (laughs) thanks Catherine. I'll, i'll start with that so when you think about uh spiritual abuse think about something that's deliberate think about something that is purposely done think that the individual is willingly manipulating another purpose in order to accomplish i like to call it an ungodly agenda So when you talk about most scholars who've written about spiritual abuse, it is very synonymous to domestic abuse or intimate partner violence. Why? Because it's about power and control. So power and control, they are the main drivers behind any form of abusive behavior. So you have this personality. You have this personality that's an authoritarian uh, type of individual and they are mandating a submission to their power and mandating that you submit to their control, whether it's based on a shame-based relationship, whether they send me mess- messages of, 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 of self you know negativity, whether they're trying to create a dependency of the victim upon the system, all of that mirrors intimate partner violence or domestic partner violence. The, the, you can just say the location has changed. The location is in the church.
0: The location has changed. It's the same. And I think that's so important. I had a woman on here who had experienced like pretty horrible sexual abuse in the church. And she talked about the spiritual abuse being way worse than the actual sexual abuse of it. And I and I just, it's so important that people understand the magnitude of the damage that can well, be Well, the
1: magnitude is because this is an environment that's supposed to be a sacred space mm-hmm. in which you are really trying to indoctrinate, you know, the love of Jesus, where you're trying to mature, where you're trying to be spiritually transformed in the very place in which you go, in which you're supposed to be free to worship, free to express yourself in ministry now it's turning, you know, on you. You know, now it's making you the victim. Now it's making you second guess your relationship with God. So am I doing something wrong that is displeasing to God? Amen. That is allowing this to happen to me. You've heard individuals say, what have I done so terribly in my life that I deserve this type of behavior? And nine times out of 10, it is coming from a very, trusted source that they've willingly place themselves in a vulnerable position. I just
2: want to layer that really quick. And another uh, concept that we often talk about in trauma psychology is betrayal trauma. And so betrayal trauma is where the person who is the perpetrator or the person who is actually doing the abuse, they're a trusted individual. They're a trusted source. So it's usually a caregiver, a parent, a mentor, a teacher. And when we talk about institutional betrayal trauma, If you send your child to an institution, a school, a church, a community center, it's the institution that is now taking form of that trusted source, that trusted caregiver that's now allowing or inflicting or passively allowing. When I say passively allowing, that just means they relocate the problem instead of removing the problem. And that is where we get the concepts of institutional betrayal trauma and betrayal trauma, because that trusted source is actually what's layering and hindering people's spiritual growth when we talk about spiritual abuse.
0: Oh my gosh. These are fantastic points. Building on that, Dr. Jamel, would you share how you came to your awareness of spiritual abuse? How did, where did that awareness come from?
2: Reverend Dr. Mommy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, when working in the field at, as a licensed clinical and board certified clinical psychologist, and training under Dr. Tama, who is a trauma psychologist, I learned a lot about trauma, but it was mostly in the form of child abuse, and intimate partner violence. And so those are my main um, areas of focus. And then of course, child abuse and intimate partner violence and power and control abuse in even institutions. But never really did I think about it in the church. Like, yes, I've worked on, as a forensic psychologist, I've worked on court cases where mostly civil suits, where the victim survivor are suing, like the church entity because of the, you know, because of the, the, pastor, the priest or whoever being the perpetrator. And again, passing the problem and not removing them from office. So that's what I understood it, but I didn't necessarily understand the context of spiritual abuse. I look at that as more, it was a church hurt because you're this person now is saying, am I going to turn towards God or am I going to turn away from God? Like, do I think that this is a punishment from God? Am I supposed to learn something? It really, there's a struggle there, but understanding this concept of spiritual abuse and saying, well, it's more than just church hurt and it's more than child abuse in the church. It's actually spiritual abuse because God has Anointed you, and you took that anointed, and you tainted it because there's something mm. that's inside of you that you didn't want to heal from, and now you're hurting the sheep and even other shepherds because a shepherd can hurt other shepherds as well. So when I came to understand just the parallels between intimate partner violence and spiritual abuse in the church construct, it was actually helping her read her long paper, if you will.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Now, I do want to. I just want to add one thing when you think about uh, church i want us to look at different models it's not just the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep because the sheep also can spiritually abuse the shepherd and the sheep can abuse one another
0: yeah you mentioned that in your
1: paper exactly so it's from the least to the greatest so it especially it depends upon you know the characteristics of the congregation if it's very family oriented you know how the congregation was established all of those factors play a role. So I don't want to us to limit mm-hmm. spiritual abuse just from the shepherd to the sheep. It's across yeah. the board. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it really no, is. No, and I think board. that's a really good thing to point out because we tend to, to re- refer to the conversation from that power dynamic of, of the clergy abuse, which is, is really common, but that idea that power can be anywhere, it can be financial power, it could be influential power, mm-hmm of someone just like having influence in the space or whatever it can it can come from different sources too
1: exactly but that is so key when you especially for example you said okay financial power that's very important. So if you have a clergy that is dependent, okay, upon the congregation to pay tithes and offering in order for them to be able to provide, not just for themselves or their family, mm-hmm. so your, your ability to thrive is coming directly from that local congregation, and that they understand that dependency, and if they abuse that dependency,
0: that's spiritual abuse, that's still power and control. So you said that you were you were doing the fr- forensic psychology, and you had cases where you were working with people who'd been abused by the church. And then at some point, you recognized that this there was this different type of abuse happening in these spaces. And you said, was that from reading Doctor Lover's paper, or did you <laughs> see it? Like, was there something in that experience that caused you to be aware something else is happening here?
2: A combination, it was from reading her paper, so working on those cases I knew there was, I knew it was compounded trauma. I knew it was complex, but then really to understand this definition and concept of spiritual abuse, I'm like, it's even more compounded. So yes, you're having institutional betrayal trauma. You're having betrayal trauma. You're having child sexual abuse and you're having spiritual abuse, which means the very fabric of that person's being has been disrupted in various aspects, mind, body, and spirit, you know, because- abuse is a very it's, it's a mind game as well and when we talk about emotional and verbal abuse and psychological abuse that that's it's a very it's self-esteem it's gaslighting and then you add the physical layer to it and the spiritual layer so that is why i said it's a disruption to the very fabric of who that person is mm. because you are targeting every every avenue every layer of them mm. and so yes, it was through the reading of her paper that it really highlighted, okay, this is another layer that I need to talk about in forensic cases, because while yes, church hurt is there. And we know that, but what about spiritual abuse, especially because we know research tells us that no matter what the religion or spiritual practice is, it helps people in their healing. Mm -hmm. And so now you're taking away a source of healing for that person. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yes, they can go to therapy, but it's hard to work through. If you taint and hurt and dismantle my spiritual source, my wellness source, because of what you did to me, that's another added layer of abuse that needs to be processed
0: and healed. And I never I never thought about it as something that completely removes that spiritual part of us and how important that is for everyone. Because we, we have, everyone has something, you know, something mm-hmm. spiritual and to have that completely eviscerated also so mm-hmm. that they don't have this other thing that they can go to for comfort, for healing. Oh, yeah, I actually had never thought of that. That's a really great point. Dr. Lover, can you tell me about how you came to your understanding of spiritual abuse and then just your inspiration for writing this paper? Why did you want to focus on this?
1: Okay, so when I was actually doing my spiritual autobiography with my cohort, now in this d program, it was a little bit different because you had to write about your own personal spiritual journey. And then you also needed to write about the context of the, I'm going to say the congregation or your workplace. And you're trying to see some type of overlap or commonality because God does not place you in circumstances by happenstance. So we don't necessarily believe that. And so when I started to talk about the context of the church in which I was at the churn of pastors that they uh, had had recently had when I had first was assigned there, how everything was behind, the mortgage was behind, the utilities was behind, the uh, congregation attendance had greatly declined. There was such a great mistrust. And then I started pulling back the layers and sharing my own personal, you know, journey. You know, I am a a survivor of being in an abusive relationship, you know, verbally as well as physically, but it never connected for me why I was now pastoring this church, even though that had happened, I'm going to say almost 15 to 20 years ago in my past. And so I felt like I had moved from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then here I am now working on this D-Man program. But when you're doing a spiritual autobiography, you pulling back up all this stuff. Yeah. And so now my mentor in the cohort, he's the one that started saying, oh, my goodness, this congregation is going through spiritual abuse. And it's not by happenstance or chance that you've been placed in this context in this time. And so it really, you know, allowed me to just open up my eyes. It created a greater level of sensitivity to the uh, congregation or the parishioner needs. It was very important to build a relationship of trust, let them know that I was vested Uh, vested in their uh, growth, vested in turning around everything concerning the plant, even if it meant sacrifice, you know, on my behalf. And so that's how that journey started. So no, I was never exposed to the term spiritual abuse. It was within the context of me, you know, reviewing my spiritual autobiography, reviewing the context of the congregation in which I was then pastoring, and my core heart mentor, like, Hey, look, let's look at this. Let's go a little bit deeper and let's go a bit, a little bit deeper. Okay. This is what's going on. And believe me, this is why you're assigned to this congregation. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very fulfilling. I would like to say a complete, you know, 180 happened because the, because, and I say that because. When I went there, just as if in a domestic situation where individuals will hold money over the victim in order to control, it was just the opposite, people refusing to tie, people refusing, you know, to give offerings, you know, not necessarily, you know, coming out to Bible study, but they're going to a business meeting you know of the church. So all of that within the course of that time I can truly say it turned around. And so where when I came in where the mortgage was like 3 or 4 months behind, when I left we burned the mortgage. But but I say that in context for not for accolades for me it was really working to build back up that trust level to encourage spiritual you know formation spiritual transformation building back up trust giving them a voice you know allowing them to have a voice being very transparent when it came to certain things in the congregation all of that was necessary in order to move the congregation
0: forward okay so i heard you name transparency I heard you name building back up. What what did that mean? Build building back up the trust. Well, I
1: think I think initially, to be honest with you, when I said sacrifice on my part, it was some initial sacrifice, meaning that they needed to know that I needed to put some skin in the game. So when I first got there and all of these bills were behind, I was like, okay, we're gonna have to suck this up. Meaning myself, you know, dig deep. And it was for some time that I refused to take a salary oh, because I was wow. like, oh, yeah. I mean, and, and the reason why I say that is that they needed to know that I had a vested interest in them and in their success. OK, no. No. You 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 can't pastor a church that's foreclosed, right? Right. Even though we would never let it get to that point, but my point is is that sometimes you, ha- as a leader, you have to have a a, a spirit of service. You know, a servitude. Yeah. You, know, you got to be that servant. OK, and not everybody is going to be willing to be in that position, but that's just one data point. Pastoral right. care, meaning be pastoral when mm-hmm. people are in the hospital, you know, when people are in crisis moments, that's when you need to be there, mm-hmm. you know. So all of that makes a difference. Being intentional about Bible study. I know all of this stuff sounds very rudimentary, but we will be But so many people don't do it. I worked in but five
0: churches. But we would, be, but we would be normal. Su-
1: <laughs> but we would be surprised how we can be so consumed Absolutely. with the business aspect of the church and 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 not, you know, be intentional about building relationship and also building up the people, giving them opportunities. And then I think another thing that was that you have to do there are people that are sitting in the pews that you got to give them an opportunity to serve. So in other words, you cannot concentrate the power within the select few. Now that's when you're going to ruffle some feathers. Amen. Because I believe that you got to give people an opportunity to serve. And once they start serving, then the church takes on a whole new meaning to them. Now they become vested they're mm-hmm. not just coming and showing up on Sunday morning. You know, this is this is my church. So I was very intentional about trying to groom new leadership, you know, very intentional about trying to be transparent, you know, with the finances as far as the reporting and stuff goes. You got to start creating, you know, ministry and programs that not that don't necessarily just serve your immediate congregation, but also shows that you have a vested interest in those in the community as well. So, like I said, those things sound rudimentary, but over time, you know, people were guarded. Come on, new kid on the block. Mm-hmm. You know, first female pastor, you know, every charge I have had, I've been the first female pastor. Wow, and whereas that's not an issue for me, by the time you've done this four times, it's not so much an <laughs> issue for you, but you know it's an issue for them, and yeah. so because of that, you got to be patient and walk through that. So, of course, they're gonna be very guarded. You know, it takes while you know for those defenses and stuff to come down, you know, and you just gotta be patient, you know, through the process and by by being consistent. Consistency is important by being consistent and accountable this slowly. And I say slowly, cause I don't want people to feel that, you know, that this happened within the first 90 days or, you know, the first 12 months. No, it it took some time, mm-hmm. you know, it actually took some time, but once people know that you care, that you genuinely care, and that is really not about you, but you're really there to do
0: ministry. So consistent and accountable is what you said. Oh,
1: oh accountability is very important. Mm-hmm. And consistency. You know, you can't just, you know, and you got to be accessible. Mm-hmm. You got to be accessible. I mean, you know, just because I may not physically be there, you can pick up the phone and call me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can, you can, but that makes, but that makes a difference. That makes a difference. So, you know, so so it's not necessarily approach to, you know, some dictator style of leadership right. 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 But, but we're trying to promote working as a team. But in working as a team, that does not mean that the leader has to sometimes make difficult decisions. But in making those difficult decisions as a leader, that's not abuse. You're making mm-hmm. some decision that's going to benefit the congregation and move the congregation forward.
0: Right. Yeah, and I liked you had in your dis- dissertation, your paper, you had like a chart of what is abuse and what is not abuse. And then you had one of You also had one that was like, what's forgiveness and what's not forgiveness, which was also super helpful. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, what is abuse and what is not abuse? I think that's helpful because, you know, making decisions doesn't necessarily mean you're being abused. Right, right, right. And I think I know what you're referencing.
1: Mm -hmm. Like spiritual abuse is not when a church leader has to make a final decision. It's not when you're confronting a member. And if you have to remove someone that's being ineffective. Or if a leader is exhibiting some type of behavior, whether it's emotional, physical or mental, that's not spiritual abuse. That's being a leader. And that does not mean that you can't walk with them through this process in their healing. So ultimately, you want to try to preserve the relationship and that's going to take time. And so let's just be honest in any relationship that you have. Any type of relationship that you have, there are going to be some concerns and issues that you have to work through. It's all about how you work through them and the approach of how you work through them. I don't have to tear you down. I don't have to shame face you. I don't have to embarrass you. I don't have to pull some kind of control uh, over you in order for you to understand, hey, we got to come to some kind of agreement in order to
0: move forward. So with a definition of what abuse, spiritual abuse is not, I would Mm -hmm. love to hear from both of you how you would define spiritual abuse if some random person walked up to you and said, hey, what's spiritual abuse?
1: What would you say?
0: Go ahead, Dr. Oliver.
1: Oh, spiritual abuse, when somebody is trying to force you to do something that you know do not line up with the will of God and they're using their power and their influence, to control you or manipulate you to do it, then yes, that is definitely, definitely abuse. This is abuse. Because it's coercion.
0: You're you're trying to coerce someone. Of
1: course. If you don't conform to what I want you to do, or if there is punitive uh, punishment. In other words, if you don't co-sign, you know, on this, that I'm going to remove you. That's abusive as well. You know, turning mm. off utilities. This is manipulative. Exactly, exactly. You know, even if power is concentrated within a select few folk, that is, that's putting yourself like in a position for abuse. Because mm. the power is concentrated. You know, mm. they have too much decision uh, making uh, power. That needs to be diffused. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I've seen the, the financial thing, the opposite thing happening where the church was dealing with some fraud issues and Mm -hmm. people stopped giving because they didn't Mm -hmm. trust the organization. That's a very different thing than withholding for manipulation.
1: but that's, but I mean, that's different because in that instance, that's issues of accountability and that's issues and of, lack of transparency. transparency. And, yeah. so, and so the bottom line is, is that God causes us to be a good steward. So those individuals are trying to be a good steward over what God has entrusted in their care. If they're trying to hold funds in order to get answers so that's Mm -hmm. not abuse the Mm -hmm. abuse has occurred on the other end Mm -hmm. the person who's committing the fraud
0: Mm
1: -hmm. the person who's taking the money that's that's the abusive behavior Mm -hmm. me now being a good steward of what god has given me that's different Mm -hmm. and so and and people will have a tendency to try to use language to manipulate you but that's why I always try to encourage people to pray for a discerning spirit. If something in within your spirit, if it's not feeling right, mm, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow leaders under godly judgment. If you know their actions are not lining up with the word of God, or if it is and their motivation is not pure and you're not settled in your spirit,
0: step back. Mm, At Tears of Eden, we call that trusting your gut. Well, trusting
1: your gut (laughs) and just just step back. I was just trying to bring it up a notch, but just step back.
0: Dr. Jamel, how would you define spiritual abuse? Well, I'm just going to
2: add this. So if somebody comes up to me and they're talking about what's going on in the church and if it sounds oppressive, I would say, that might be a sign of spiritual abuse. Of course, I would want more data point, but when- when people say that my senior pastor, while they're a great leader, but they're very critical. All it's constant criticism. It's constant, just like ripping my messages apart. Or I could have done this youth group better. There, there's no empowerment. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is definitely a sign, an indication of there might be some spiritual abuse going on here. Because again, this person is using the anointing that God gave them and tainting their anointing for their own selfish gain, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so we gave a lot of different examples, but sometimes it's just that person. It's that person who has, power and they're power driven and they see other people who are potential leaders and they don't want to foster leadership inside of those other people. They want to keep it all for themselves. Yeah. So it may not be financial control. It may not be sexual abuse. It may not be any type of governing control, but it may just purely be like, I want it all. I want all the glory.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and they, they means- kind of subtly tear you down or keep you from rising, I guess, and kind of keep you oppressed, like you were saying.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. And now you're questioning your oil, you're questioning your anointing, you're Mm -hmm. questioning, did God call me or did I call myself? Because Mm -hmm. this person who I clearly see the hand of God is on is saying that I'm not worthy to be in this position. What does that do? Go ahead. No, I was just saying that's what I would add to to the very broad definition to what Doctor Lover said. That's the only component that I would add.
0: Oh, got it, got it. Adding that the the power dynamic within just a two people in a relationship, Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily like a systemic thing. Yeah, that's a really really important thing. You you kind of mentioned this before, but like, what does that what does that do to someone when that when that happens? What's the, what's the trauma results?
2: Well, I honestly have seen people be under so much pressure that they start to have thoughts of suicide mm. because if they're really sold out for Christ and they really want to do the work of Christ and they're starting to have inner thoughts of then what is my purpose? I thought mm-hmm. this was my purpose. But if this person, again, who's the leader, who I see the hand of God is in their life, is tearing me down or not trying to develop me or not trying to bring me up, causing conflict in my family because they want me to spend extra hours on a ministry project because the one I came up with is not good enough, then they start mm-hmm. questioning every every aspect of themselves. And so, and then I've also seen people start, Take take that and be resilient and start their own church, right? And so, <laughs> so, or a nonprofit. Exactly. Or a nonprofit. <laughs> so yes. So I so it it can cause different outcomes, but just broadly speaking, when somebody is in an abusive relationship, they truly start to second guess their own intuition, their own discernment, their own gut. They also um, start to question what is their purpose in life? They can isolate. They can start to have anxiety or depression. So start ruminating over different aspects of their life. And so it can really bring up the psychological um, traumas and the psychological manifestation of of a mental health disorder.
1: Mm. Dr. Mm. Rogers, would you also add is sometimes the victim starts to mimic the behavior of their oppressor. So in other words, the oppressed can sometimes mm-hmm. become the oppressor because mm-hmm. now they want to be accepted, you know, and that now and they have normalized this dysfunctional behavior. So they feel that okay, in order for me to be accepted, this is how I have to function and this is how I have to you know start to treat you know other, other people. people. Mm-hmm. So now this behavior starts mm-hmm. to perpetuate within the context of that environment.
2: Just to kind of add to that, that then you start to see that person either A, hurting their volunteers because mm-hmm. they start to use that same behavior of it's not good enough, your calling is not good enough, what you're bringing to the table is not good enough, to the to the people who volunteer their time or to other ministry leaders And sometimes it can even go to the context of family and friends Mm -hmm. where they can bring it to their spouse or to their children or just to their loved ones. They can start um, asserting and afflicting that same behavior. And so now what that does is you're starting to produce people constantly questioning the church. And now because it's like, okay. If the senior leader does this, if my youth, youth leader does this, and now you call yourself my parent and you're supposed to love Christ and you're doing this, mm-hmm. then what, then why do I even need to go to church? What is the purpose of God and the Trinity and the spirit in my life to begin with? So mm-hmm. now you're actually starting to perpetuate just the dismantling of the church of the yeah. body of Christ.
1: I wanted uh, Dr. Rogers to address that because there's another area of concern. We always say, well, you can just leave the church and go to another church. But sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes the victim tends to stay in that environment because no matter how dysfunctional it is, there is a degree of comfort or they've learned how to exist within the dysfunction or because, you know, family members are there or, you know, my family's been in this church for the last 50 or 75 years, even though they're not thriving, you know, they tend to stay. So I wanted to bring... Is exactly. I wanted to bring that out because I wanted us to understand this is why, you know, people question even in a domestic, you know, inv- uh, violent right. situation or intimate partner violence. How come they just don't simply leave? Right. It's not that easy <laughs> not. for them to leave if you've been baptized in this church, you know, if you have been went to youth uh, organizations, you know, part of youth organizations in this church. Married in this church. Big Mama was buried in this church. You got some deep ties in this church, so it's not so easy to try to sever the tie.
0: Mm, yeah, and and for a lot of people, they're on staff, and this is their their salary or their career potentially. And then it's your community and it's your family. It's it's very very difficult. What would you both say? that victims survivors need the most in the aftermath of this. You may already know this, but The Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org/support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. What would you both say that victims, survivors need the most in the aftermath of this
1: I think I had wrote about the concept um, of forgiveness because sometimes we have some kind of misconceptions about what forgiveness is, you know, that, you know, first of all, it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that you have to forget what happened to you. Because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, survivors need first of all, first of all, to affirm what has happened to them. Mm hmm you know, and put a, put a label to it so that they can start to work through it. Most of the times we don't want to identify, but once we start identifying, you know, what is the heart of the issue, then we can start to address it. So I think survivors of it need to affirm what is happening and they definitely need support. I think healing requires truth telling. I mean, me being honest, you know, with what has, you know, happened to me, you know, and to be open about it. And so even in my process of trying to let go of what has happened to me does not mean that I have to forget about it, that I can start having compassion for myself to say, hey, you know what was what I went through was painful, mm-hmm. but but I'm coming out of this and, I'll, and give myself permission, you know, to heal. I think I, I don't have to pretend like I'm Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: like the pain, the pain of the situation was not real. I think uh, all of that is doing a disservice. Uh, and then I think we can't hold others accountable for what they have done to us, regardless of whether they acknowledge it or not, because some people are not going to own up to it. But my healing, my breakthrough, you know, does is not going to be dependent upon whether or not you acknowledge it, you mm-hmm. know, cause you, you'll be waiting, you'll be waiting and then find a way to thrive. You know, it's like, you got to thrive, you know, through, through this easily said than done. You can't put that on a timetable. Don't tell somebody to get over it. You right. know, all of us don't, <laughs> all of us don't hurt the same. All of us don't process this process the same. Cause your healing does come through forgiveness. As long as we foster that. Mm-hmm. And I, And I caution us there's no timetable on this. Mm-hmm. I mean let's just be let's just be sensitive enough to, 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 to realize that it may take others longer, but we mm-hmm. really have to just dig deep and say forgiveness is really about me and my healing and mm-hmm. my wholeness and my restoration. Mm-hmm. That's why it's really important for me to work through this. But I would tell them first of all, affirm what has happened to you.
0: I really appreciate you kind of breaking down forgiveness, what it's not, what it is, because I would say that and a few other things are what is most used by an organization to abuse someone. Well, you just have to forgive them. Well, you just have to forgive them. You just have to forgive them. And that translates to pretend it didn't happen. That's what that ends up translating to, which is just a classic example of spiritual abuse. And I've had had it done to me. I've seen it done all over the place. Even with the work that I'm doing now, that is a main accusation towards me is that I'm bitter because I'm not I'm not I'm still addressing this thing that's still happening.
1: So you're processing. So, I mean, you're processing what has
0: happened to and raising awareness that it's still happening.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, exactly because yes. education is key. Now, mm-hmm. when I, you know, did my uh, research, I, I added, you know, that the first thing that we have to do with participants is an educational component of what spiritual abuse is, because mm-hmm. people are going to dismiss it. Oh, they're just having a bad day. No, it's deeper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I everyone's that mean, I means
1: you, you have a bad day every day. Every day you're having a bad day because every day you exhibit the same behavior toward me. So mm-hmm. I think we, we need to educate people within mm-hmm. the context of the church of what actually spiritual abuse is. And then I think we have to have some skill, a skill component, mm-hmm. you know, for them to try to, how do we, how do we address it? Because we have too many people who are suffering in silence. Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Rogers, how would you, what, what do you say that survivors need?
2: So before I I answer what they need, I do want to piggyback off of that last point, that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And so forgiveness is for yourself, right? So you can be free. And just because you're free and you're still talking about it, it doesn't make you bitter, right? Mm -hmm. People think that you have to reconcile. And if you don't reconcile, then you're bitter. And it's like, no, I'm protecting my feelings. And I'm also saying this is still happening. Mm -hmm. And if we actually want to change and stop this behavior, then we cannot put it in darkness, we have to keep it in the light. Because the more we keep it in the light, then the more that we see the elephant in the room, the more that we can address the elephant in the room. And so... Of course I'm very biased and I'm going to say that survivors need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, when it's a trauma. It's a trauma. It's a trauma absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely and arguably it's it's a major trauma because For some people, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit is truly that their father, their mother, their parent. And for people who grew up without parents or grew up with only one parent, they may they may see our triune God as that parent. Mm -hmm. And when you as the human take the entity of our Lord and Savior to use it for your own benefit. That is a deep wound, right? So yes, it needs to be processed. Yes, it needs to be talked about. And yes, it needs to be healed. But because I believe in holistic healing, because trauma usually affects the whole being, mind, body, and spirit, we also need to see, okay, how can we integrate either in therapy or outside of therapy, the body and the spirit? Right. So how are you how are you taking care of yourself? Are you sleeping? Are you eating properly? Are you walking, exercising? Are you socializing, getting outside of your house? What are you doing to actually activate those neurotransmitters in your brain when the sun hits your brain and saying, okay, like we, we need fresh air. Like, what are you Mm -hmm. doing? And so it doesn't take away what happened to you. It doesn't make it okay. What happened to you, but God can still speak and use you through it all. That is what we're doing. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to be healed and I'm going to continue to shed light on the situation because while I'm becoming whole, I need other people to recognize this is still
0: not okay. Right. Yeah. And I would say just like in my own story, I I had to realize in the work that I was doing that one of the ways that my abusers still had power over me was in that I still wasn't sharing my own story publicly. And that was my story. I, I felt like I needed to step out of their power and start sharing my own story publicly because the only reason why I wasn't was because of their a fear of them and how they were going to interpret it and how that system was going to interpret it. That's my story. That's not going to be everyone. Not everyone goes public with their story. But just for me, I realized that that was one of the things that was keeping me from sharing it was that power that they still had ho- over me and it takes a lot. And I love that you mentioned therapy because it, it takes, you know, doing that and and sometimes that power looks like us not getting help and like even just like, oh no, I'm fine, I'm fine, mm-hmm. and that and that's how it can look sometimes too of people still controlling us is, oh no, you know, I j- I got this, I'm okay. So, I mean, it took
1: a lot of courage. So I want to I want to applaud you retaliation is real. Retaliation is not a figment of your imagination. Mm-hmm. We still live in a world where people will figure out a way to get eaten. Mm-hmm. However, you took control of your voice, you took control of your narrative, and I commend you for the courageous act that you are doing. And Thank don't you. be surprised of the seeds that you are sowing, because we serve a fruit bearing God. And so you don't, you, you may can't see it now, the lives that you're touching and the fruit that's coming out of this. So I applaud you for your courageousness. Well, thank you.
0: I appreciate that very much.
2: The only thing I want to also add to the, to that is when you said that I'm fine. And, and this is for whoever's going to listen to this is that mm-hmm. not everybody is fine every day. Right. And so if, if that is your your sentence i'm fine every day i encourage you to go talk to somebody because not everybody is fine every day every day right. every day like there, there is something, yes, we all have everyday stressor that might throw us off a little bit, but you're fine every day. Mm -hmm. And and I know God is great and I know meditation works, but every day, like, (laughs) yeah, let's explore that just a little bit. So yeah.
0: Yeah. If if I have no issues that, that it might be an issue
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, because there's a difference between saying, this happened and it's stressing me, but it's not controlling my life, right? Mm-hmm. It, so there's a difference between recognizing what's going on versus just saying I'm fine and being dismissive about what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I see that happening so often in the spiritual abuse conversation, especially among men who just want to, don't want to admit that this happened and like this, this, or they want to say I was hurt and they don't want to say it was abuse and they don't want to name it that. And so they, they, they've put on that facade, but to them, it's not a facade. (laughs) They they believe it's true. And they go into these other spaces. And then the same thing happens again, because they, they haven't done the work to deal with this trauma. And they end up in these very gravitating. I did it. (laughs) I gravitated Mm -hmm. to these spaces, I think three times before I'm like, there's something wrong with these spaces. And so, yeah, it's just, it's so important to just to acknowledge that it actually happened and that it hurt.
2: Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you mentioned men, because I also talk about male victims um, in terms of intimate partner violence. While it's a small percentage, male victims, it still happens. And mm-hmm. so even in the spiritual abuse realm, male victims, are real. And mm-hmm. so when the male victim survivor gets the courage to say, "Hey, my spiritual leader is spiritually abusing me," then people want to talk about masculinity and they want to talk about, "Why can't you handle it? It's, you know, man yeah. type of." So, then mm-hmm. we get into some of that toxicity and and the conversation why mm-hmm. people stay silent why people mm-hmm. say like oh it's not that big of a deal or oh this person's just playing around or come on you can take it
0: mm-hmm. and it's like
2: i'm a human being too mm-hmm. <laughs> like let's mm-hmm. start at the foundational level of i'm a human being too like yeah. i have to, you know yeah so, that
0: yeah. is that is a source of a lot of just grief for me as i watch the difference between the way men handle these experiences and the way women do and and it's true that a lot of times in these spaces, men have more power. So the trauma might not be as great, but I, I cannot believe that there aren't more men who, <laughs> who have been traumatized by this and are just pretending, telling themselves that it's fine and that, and that they're okay. Yeah. So that's another, another podcast episode. So as we just kind of wind down, thank you guys so much for being here this was so great this was healing for me to have this conversation with you so i just really appreciate it so much is there anything else that either of you want to say any final parting words for anyone church for the victims for for anyone
1: I would would say this, don't suffer in silence. I tried to say that earlier, but I want to be uh, very poignant and say, don't suffer in silence. Keep speaking. There's someone out there who is going to listen and who is going to validate your story. Talk outside of your immediate circle, especially if your immediate circle isn't hearing you. Mm -hmm. Seek help outside your immediate circle especially if your immediate circle is not helping you, but above all, don't
2: suffer in silence. Thank you. That is
1: awesome. Amen. Amen.
2: Mm -hmm. In addition to all of those tangible things that Dr. Lover said, therapy works as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, this has been so good. Thank you for giving your time so that other people can learn about this. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All
2: right. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward <laughs> to God us. bless. Yes, and we look forward to getting the email with the link to the podcast. So
0: once yes. it's out, we can disseminate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. God
2: bless. Bye-bye. Nice Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God Bye. bless.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting TearsOfEden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review. And don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Catherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.